scripture, Mark 4, verse 21, says, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said to them, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And he said, The kingdom of God is like if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and he should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, but he himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and afterward the full grain of the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds of the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up, becomes greater than all herbs, and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. And Father, we just humbly pause and want to ask for the grace of God and the help of your Holy Spirit to be prepared, as well as to be able to clearly hear the voice of of you speaking things to us individually and collectively this morning. So, Lord, as always, we humbly ask as we continue to worship now, help us to have an ear to hear what your Spirit's saying to this part of your church through the Word of God this day. And we ask this expectantly together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the word insights is defined as the obtaining of accurate and deeper understanding regarding a person or regarding a thing. And in this next section, we're going to look at together in Mark's gospel, Jesus is basically sharing insights regarding the kingdom of God. It's very evident that that's what he's doing here, conveying spiritual insights that are both helpful to know as well as to understand regarding what it means to live differently as a servant of the kingdom of God rather than living as a slave of sin in this current world and generation that does not know or serve God. He's going to talk about the value of spiritual light. He's going to address the importance of our interest to actually want to listen and actually to be willing to learn He's going to talk about the power of God's word to produce change in lives, as well as challenges that accompany spiritual growth when it begins to happen among the people of God. And you'll notice he shares these ideas in more parables once again. We've already seen some, and again, parables are an earthly story that picture a spiritual truth. Now, I know it is a little bit out of the norm, and so I beg your pardon for one morning here in regards to an out-of-the-order way of which we typically methodically work through a text, 
But for overall clarity, and then so we can really focus our main attention and time on the insights that Jesus gives from these parables, I want to first consider, if I could, just kind of that summary conclusion statement that Mark makes here at the end of our passage first, and then we'll work our way back from the beginning through the different parables. So if you look with me again there in verse 33 and 34, as Mark's kind of concluding uh, what he's addressing here, Mark said in verse 33, and with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it, but without a parable, he says, he did not speak to them. And then when they were alone, Mark adds, he explained all things to his disciples. So Jesus apparently was predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly at this stage using parables as a part of his teaching ministry to convey spiritual truth. And Mark tells us at this point that this is the main approach Jesus was using at this stage. And again, a parable, it's a compound word, basically is a term that refers to laying or casting down an earthly picture or an earthly analogy or story alongside of a spiritual and eternal truth. And the purpose of that, laying down this earthly story or earthly picture, was to help better grasp the spiritual truth and to give light, to kind of enlighten what it was saying, to help people connect the dots a little bit better. And a parable is a form of teaching where if someone is disinterested in learning, then they don't see it. All they hear is kind of an interesting story about a farmer and some seed or some story about a plant that's growing in an in impressive way. And, well, that was an interesting story, and what's for lunch? And they don't really grasp what's there. They just hear an earthly story. But for the person who is an interested seeker and for the person who really has a hunger and a desire to learn, it kind of lights up the idea in a greater way. So if someone has an ear to hear and a heart that wants to learn and they're interested, a parable actually helps to shed more light. It enlightens the spiritual truth. It gives more clarity to what's being conveyed spiritually if one thinks upon it and leans into it. And here we're told that Jesus taught the word, Mark says in verse 33, to them as they were, I like how he says here, able to hear it. To me, that's very beautiful. Jesus was sensitive in his teaching manner, and he connected to people where they were. It says that Jesus taught them as they were able to hear it. In other words, he took into consideration those who were in front of him and their ability to listen and what they could handle and what they perhaps couldn't handle, and he spoke to them purposely in a manner that they were able to understand. And I love to see that about the Lord. Think about it. This was God in human flesh. He probably could have really blew some people's minds with the words he could have dropped or the things he could have shared, the information overload. But yet Jesus cared to speak in a way that people were able to understand. I think those who do an effective job in, in children's ministry, meaning to our kids, that if they want to do an effective job as they pray and they prepare and they consider, am I teaching first and second graders or fourth, fifth, and sixth graders or the preschool class? And they think through, okay, how are they best able to understand the truth of God's word? I always, when I pray for them, pray that they can present God's word in a digestible manner. 
That is, they can take the same truths of God's word, but yet just like, you know, when you, when you feed your, your children, if you're a parent, you, I mean, you, you cut up smaller portions of the same thing you're reading so that they don't choke on it, and you're giving the same thing, but in a way they're able to swallow it and digest it. And that mattered to Jesus. Whenever he spoke to people, the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. That people who were just everyday individuals, they may not have been PhDs, or whatever, but they could, as common people, hey, I get that. That makes sense to me. Thanks for putting the cookies on the shelf where I could reach them. And they were able to enjoy and to benefit from what Jesus would say. It says, and then when they were alone, verse 34 tells us even more that then when he got alone, he explained, look what it says, he explained all things to his disciples. So Jesus further explained things, and notice the Holy Spirit draws our attention to those who were his disciples. And the word disciple, as we've said before, is a term that speaks of not a casual listener, but to a committed learner. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say just go make converts. He said, make disciples. Those who aren't just casual listeners, but they're committed learners. A disciple was someone who wants to follow their master and live according to their master's ways, so they listen very intently. And they're observant, and they pay attention, and they're, they have an eagerness, if you would, to know what their master is saying. And Jesus was always seeking to create disciples. And so he would take time to explain things to them. And I love this image here of our Lord's heart and his mindset as both a teacher and a leader, that it really mattered to him that people were able to understand spiritual truth and grasp it. He spoke in a manner that they were able to focus and to, to, to give them helpful explanation. And I so appreciate that about our Lord as a great example, that Jesus did not communicate in a way with, with a primary intention to impress people with his presentation. What he was more concerned about is speaking in a way and communicating in a manner that he could impart helpful things to people so that they could benefit from what was being said and it wasn't way over their heads or it wasn't conveyed in a way that they couldn't grasp and they couldn't attain it and understand it. Jesus spoke in a manner that was adequate and clear and explained so that people could say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I get that. I understand that because he knew how valuable spiritual truth was in their lives. Now, with that backdrop of Mark informing us what Jesus was doing in the midst of his teaching ministry at this season, let's look at the parables that we have here in front of us, beginning back at the start of our text in verse 21 there, remembering again that a parable, this style of teaching, usually mainly has one primary point to it, one main concept that's the primary meaning behind it to grasp. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus said, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? So Jesus first illustrates here, we might say, the value and the importance of light, both naturally, as that makes sense, but also spiritual light the value and the importance of light. He refers to a lamp there in verse 21, which in that ancient culture was the oil lamp, which was the primary source of light in that time period before the utilization of electricity. And the lamp that he's referring to, the oil lamp, was, if you've ever seen it, you can Google a picture of such, is a sort of a flat clay vessel 
that has an opening in the top as a reservoir where you would pour the oil in, and then out of the front of it, kind of like the beak or the spout area you might refer to it as, the wick would stick out of that, and it was connected into the oil, and then they would light, once the wick was saturated with the oil, they would light it, and it was very efficient as long as there was oil kept within the lamp. And so this was a very common picture that people understand it. The thing that was wonderful about these lamps also, they were helpful because they were mobile. You could put them up on a lampstand in a corner of a room or somewhere in a prominent place so that they would illuminate a dark room. They also could be carried around. So as you walked in the dark, whether inside from room to room or outside, the lamp would provide light. That was extremely beneficial to help see clearly so you could function, so that you were able to remain safe. The light supplied was important. It was extremely valuable for them to conduct their affairs in a helpful way and to keep themselves from getting harmed or in places perhaps that they should not be. So thus light, Jesus, understanding this, asked this rhetorical set of questions. And again, a rhetorical question is a question where the answers kind of pretty obvious. It's one of those questions where you ask a question and the answer is completely evident. That's why he says there in verse 21, is a lamp brought to be put underneath a basket or under a bed? And the obvious answer is, of course not. That would be counterproductive, Jesus is saying. Or he says, is it not to be set up on the lampstand? The idea is in a place where it can most beneficially give the light that it's intended to. So Jesus is using a picture to drive home a point that light has valuable purpose to do things like eliminate darkness. It also illuminates things so that you can see with better clarity and it enlightens one's understanding. So it would be very, very counterproductive, Jesus is conveying, as well as foolish to do anything that would hinder the value of light or that would diminish the purpose that light intends to help as a source of light. And the same is true, but to a much greater extent, spiritually. That spiritual light is all the more beneficial and has valuable purpose. Spiritual light eliminates darkness. It illuminates things so that there's more clarity in one's ability to see. It enlightens our understanding. It helps us to see where we're going so that we're not wandering in the dark. Now, three things we know for sure, at least, that provide powerful spiritual light that's beneficial for humans. One, of course, the obvious, is Jesus, who being God is the primary source of spiritual light, right? Jesus declared in John chapter 8, one of his seven I am statements, John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he went on to say, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus represents himself as God, as the light for the world, the one true source of light that this dark world needs to be able to figure out how to live according to God's design, how to live properly. And I love that Jesus says, he who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. See, if someone's not following Jesus, the Bible says whether they realize it or not, they're living in the dark. And that's why they stumble and fall. And that's why they make mistakes. And that's why they get lost. And that's why they 
do things that are very counterproductive and hurtful because it's just like someone walking around in the dark. When you walk in the dark, you can't see where you're going. You injure yourself. You get off track. You lose your bearings. And so when someone's not following Jesus, they're living in a very dark way. Whether they realize it or not, that's the problem. And look, let me just say, that's the answer. Today, if you're not following Jesus, one of the most valuable things you can do to get yourself out of it, feel like you're wandering around in the dark, or you, I just feel like I'm in the dark. I have no direction for my life. Well, just start following Jesus. He'll give you light and he'll give you direction. You'll have light for this life and how God intended you to live this life in a whole different way. And let me say to you this morning, if you are a Christian, if you feel like that things have just been more difficult recently, you're struggling to see clearly, you're having challenges, perhaps the answer is nothing more than just start following Jesus a little bit more sincerely and, and, and a little bit more closely. Because Jesus said, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. And one of the most helpful things to a believer if they feel they're struggling is just to draw close, walk more closely with Jesus, and you will have light for your life in ways like you never did before because he'll start making things more clear to you. A second source of light that we know the Bible speaks about spiritually is the Bible also says that we ourselves as Christians, followers of Christ, that we also, Jesus said, are the light of the world. Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of of the world. Well, that would make sense. If he is the light of the world and he dwells within us by his spirit, the spirit of Christ is in us, that we now become conduits to be as Christians, the light of the world. He says, a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And then Jesus says this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So again, Jesus tells us, we are a predominant source of light in this world, and as we live out our lives in the light of the Lord and walking with Jesus, his light radiates from us in a way whereby we shine brightly in the world, and people see our good works as we love and serve and glorify the Lord, and that's what prompts them to then ultimately see through us the Father in heaven, and it helps people to be able to see what God is really like as we give a good representation of him. And one third and, and final way that God's word is very evident, there's powerful spiritual light, is simply in the word of God itself alone, right? Psalm 119, your word is a, most of us know it, lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so the value of God's word is it gives us spiritual light and it allows us to have a lamp for our feet, for the steps that we take, where we walk, what we do, and it helps us to find the right path for our lives. Now, as we think of that in connection to what Jesus is saying here in verse 21, what Jesus then is saying is if I'm the light of the world and you as Christians are supposed to be the light of the world and the word of God is a lamp under your feet and a light under your path, then what he in essence is saying, it would be very foolish and counterproductive to do anything to hinder those sources of spiritual light. In other words, if someone ignores Jesus and does not give Jesus proper place, well, darkness is going to set into their life because he's the light of the world. And I don't know about you, but spiritual darkness causes some real struggles for the inward life and in the world that we live in. 
We need the Lord's light. We need spiritual light to fulfill its intended purpose, to eliminate darkness spiritually, to illuminate things for better clarity, to enlighten our understanding. And Jesus is a great source of the light of the Lord. And if we ignore Jesus or disregard Jesus, then the automatic outcome of that is darkness is going to set in because light is lacking. If as Christians, we're supposed to be the light of the world. If as Christians, we're not being light in this dark world that we are intended to be by God's design, our world will only suffer worse in the ongoing darkness. You do realize that. We can sit around and either put our heads in the sand or chronically complain about how dark the world is getting, or we can realize we are the only source of light that still exists out there in that dark world whether it's you and your job or you and your school or you among your family or you among the community, that you're at least providing some light as everyone else is wanting to press into the darkness and get darker and darker in what they do, that you have the one opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to shine a little bit of light in this situation. If I can do anything to dispel a little bit of the darkness or just bring things to light that should be seen with the insanity of what people are thinking... And then, of course, God's word, if not given the opportunity to work in the heart and the mind of a person, if I shut out God's word, then what I'm in essence doing, I am shutting out a degree of light from my mind and from my heart. And I don't know about you, there's a pretty dark place in there. And this is a pretty dark place in here. So if there ain't a little bit of light going in there continually from God's word, that is not going to be good for my thinking, for your thinking. Our hearts and minds will grow dark, and we will start to live in dark ways. So Jesus emphasizes the value of light. He then, I believe, in connection to that, verse 22, then says this is a follow-up. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. So when natural light is at work, as we said, it will expose things. When natural light is doing its job, things that were not seen prior will now be able to be seen. They'll be brought to light. They'll be revealed. And that's, again, helpful and important. Light reveals things that we were not aware of before. If you go into a dark room, you turn on the light, all of a sudden things are now revealed. What you couldn't see prior, what was hidden because of the darkness is now exposed and it enables us to see things. And again, that protects us from navigating in error. It protects us from harm and danger, tripping over things or stepping into a pit or you know, entering into something that we should avoid. And again, the same is true regarding spiritual light. This is what spiritual light does, the exact same things. It reveals and it exposes things. So light increases our understanding so we can comprehend something more fully, something that before maybe it was kind of, it was hidden and we, we weren't able to see it clearly. Well, all of a sudden when light comes into the situation, we say things, do we not? We say things like, wow, that really sheds light on the matter. Or we say things like, wow, you, you know what? Now, now I see it a lot more clearly. That really, that really brightens up the situation. Now I can see what I didn't see before, and light has this wonderful, powerful ability to do that, and the same is true spiritually. It can make something all of a sudden connect 
or we see it in a way we didn't see it before because the light is being shown upon it. And we need that spiritual illumination of God's light being at work in the many ways it does to help us see things maybe that were kind of hidden and that we didn't see before. You know, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as it talks about the God of this age, the devil blinding the minds of those who choose not to believe. It tells us regarding God's power to break through. 2 Corinthians 4 says this. Listen to what he says. For it is the God, the God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, talking about creation, when God said, let there be light, and light came into the darkness. He says that same God who has alone, who has, excuse me, shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what the Bible is saying there? The same God who spoke light into darkness in a creative act and spoke light into existence in a dark world received light. God says that same God can shine supernatural light into a person's heart to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ coming to see who Jesus is. You do realize the only reason if you are converted in your soul this morning is because God mercifully, supernaturally shined the light of his spirit into your dark soul and mind and illuminated what was hidden to you for a period of time in your life and made you realize, oh my goodness, I'm a desperate sinner. Oh my goodness, I, I, I'm not right with God. Oh my goodness, I didn't, and, and God illuminated that and he shone his light into our hearts. And here's the encouraging thing, folks. He can do the same in other people's lives. And we should pray, God, just Give them the floodlight. Just flood your light into their heart and mind. Let them see. I can't make them see it, but God, you can shine your light into their heart and bring them to that awareness. Again, I referenced earlier God's word, Psalm 119, one of my favorite verses in Psalm 119. It's all about God's word. It says, the entrance of God's word gives light. The entrance of God's word. I like that for so many reasons. I can tell you from a personal perspective why I really, really love that reminder. The entrance of God's word gives light. That is, it reveals things that are hidden and, and opens things up, as I said before. Because to me, I realize how dark my mind and how dark my heart is. And so one of the main reasons, on top of just being devoted to Jesus, I've got to be in the word of God every day is because I got to get a little bit of light inside there. And every time I get in God's word, whether I feel like I had a firework experience of something jumping off the page of the word of God, what I do know is this. If I get up in the morning before any other human being talks to me and I drink a cup of coffee and I open the word of God, a little bit of light went inside of Tony's dark soul and Tony's mind. And if nothing else happened, I know on the promise of God's word, I got a little bit of light in there. And that'll maybe get me through another day and keep me out of jail and from doing something really dumb or something. And I'm thankful for that. And then I can come here another Wednesday and Sunday for you. But the entrance of God's word, it shines light into our lives. Again, the Bible tells us that we are the light for the dark world. It's interesting that Jesus said there in that same statement, Mark, Matthew 10, he said, there's nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. And then he said, whatever I tell you in the dark 
speak in the light and what you hear in the ear is preach on the housetop. So just like natural light also reveals hidden and covered things, right? Well, a lot of times if we want to get a closer look at something, if you're going to buy a car on the side of the road, a used vehicle, you usually don't go look at it in the dark, right? You wait until it's light. Why? Because the daylight may allow you to see certain things that are hidden or kept concealed that you would not see in the dark. And so light has this valuable thing where it exposes flaws and problems, maybe in a product or a person even. And spiritual light, folks, it does the same thing. Spiritual light exposes things previously kept hidden in the dark, maybe issues or problems or errors or wrong things that need to be brought to light for us to see. And I can tell you this, having walked with Jesus since 1992 myself, Jesus, I found, has a wonderful way of exposing things and bringing things to light. In my own life, sometimes in the lives of other people that it's helpful to know, he has a wonderful way of shining light and exposing things and letting us see things that are amiss and need to change. And Jesus has no problem if something's being kept in the dark or in secret to shine his light and to bring it to light for a beneficial purpose. The word of God wonderfully exposes things in our heart, soul, and mind as well. Like a sharp two-edged sword, the Bible says, it can judge the thoughts and the intents of our heart and expose things. And as believers as well, we're called to walk in the light and stand for what's true and righteous in a dark world because we as believers sometimes, just like verse 22 says, are called to be the source of the light so that something that's hidden can be revealed or something that's being done in secrecy can be brought to the light that is dark and destructive and wrong. Ephesians 5 says it this way, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that the disobedient do in secret but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. That's God's instruction to the believer, that we live in such a way that we're courageous enough in such a way to speak things, to say things, to stand for things, to project light into dark, secret, ungodly, evil things and to shine the light on it and to say that is wrong, that is destructive, that is immoral, that is filthy, and to expose those things that are being done secretly that are ruinous and harmful. Why do you think so many people were so up in arms, and I'm just going to use this as a very brief illustration, of the Sound of Freedom movie? Because it shines such a light on the hideous, disgusting sex trafficking practice that happens among tons of vulnerable children and is a rapidly growing dilemma in this current generation. That's why there was such, because it shined the light on it, if you've seen the movie. And all of a sudden, no one was very happy about that. But again, there are times when as God's people, we should be exposing that which is being done hidden and in secret for an important purpose. Jesus goes on, verse 23, to emphasize, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if the purpose God wants you to be able to hear things is that it's important, then Jesus says, pay attention, listen up. He went on, verse 24, and then he said to them, you take heed what you hear, for with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you, 
And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So Jesus describes here the importance of each person's eagerness to listen and to actually want to learn truth and to hear the voice of God. Again, this is vital because one's capacity for spiritual understanding, Jesus says, is directly connected to one's eagerness and willingness to actually want to learn, to actually want to hear and to actually see what is true. We call this a reciprocal relationship where if one party does one thing, the other party in response to what is done does something back in reciprocation. And so Jesus here, in a sense, is pointing this out. If one does what's right, then he will reciprocate back the benefit in return to show even more. Where if one does the opposite and refuses or does what's wrong, then actually it ends up being a self-inflicted problem that the reciprocal response back is even what person was seeing, they start to not be able to see it as clearly. So Jesus pictures this idea of spiritual reciprocity, if you would, happening that's why he's saying in our verses here, kind of this exhortation, the beginning of verse 24, look at it, he says, take heed to what you hear. In other words, pay attention carefully. Jesus is saying, be attentive. Be an attentive listener, he's saying. As spiritual listeners, we have a responsibility to take serious the process of being alert spiritually, being attentive spiritually, so we're properly responsive because we are all accountable for what God shows us. We're directly accountable. We have a responsibility before God for what we hear spiritually. Once he shows something to us, we are then accountable for what we have heard from God and what he's made clear to us. So we should have a teachable spirit with an eagerness to learn and listen, and it's important to be attentive. Jesus even says here in our verses in front of us, that the degree of attentiveness and interest to learn determines what unfolds. You see what he says there where he says in our text, whatever measure you use, that same measure will be given back to you. So we might say, if we invest much effort and full effort, we'll get maximum reward. The Lord will show us more and more and more, and we'll see more and more and more, and we'll hear more and more. But by the same token... If we put in little effort, then little will come back in return. We often say, you get out of something what you put into it, right? And this applies to spiritual understanding. God tells us here, it's a spiritual principle, a kingdom principle. He says in the end of verse 24 there, you who hear more will be given. Verse 25, for whoever has to him, more will be given. So, the Bible promises to us, Jesus says it's a kingdom principle, that when someone is eager to learn, they want to see, they want to hear the voice of God, that God will reward that. God will give more understanding, and he will show more things to us and, and reward our eagerness and our desire to listen and learn. By the same token, Jesus warns in the end of verse 25, whoever does not have, and the idea is whoever does not have an interest to hear, Whoever does not have an eagerness to learn, whoever is not willing to hear what God is saying, the picture there is someone who has a hard heart or a self-deceived mind. Jesus says even what they have will be taken away. The idea is 
the ability to see and to hear starts to be diminished because that person's unwillingness to hear starts to, in a sense, shut out the light of God. And it's almost as if our heart responsiveness to be hard-hearted and not want to listen to what God's saying, it's like we start to pull the shade down on the light of the Lord being able to shine into our life. And it's almost as if we, in a self-inflicted way, bring greater spiritual deception and blindness into our lives. If I could illustrate, you might think of, for example, like an unused muscle, right? When a muscle is unused, it atrophies, shrinks up, and weakens, and basically that atrophied muscle loses its proper original intended function. And the same kind of happens spiritually, where when a person starts to kind of shut out the voice of the Lord, they become disinterested to hear God's voice or to hear God's word by their attitude or their actions. They start struggling to hear God's voice as easily as they once did. And look, this can happen in different ways. Perhaps someone just starts to grow apathetic spiritually and they become distracted by the things of the world or whatever it may be. And so their heart just kind of becomes apathetic towards God. And then they fight, start fighting that struggle of gradually kind of darkness setting into their spiritual life more and more. And they're struggling to hear the voice of the Lord, maybe in a way that they once did. And part of it is they've kind of calloused their own heart a little bit because they've been shutting out the voice of the Lord. Look, a great way to reverse that is just repent, change your mind. Say, Lord, I want to lean in now. I want to hear anything you're going to say to me. Lord, like Samuel, I want to pray when I open your word in the morning, or I want to pray when I come to church or attend a Bible study. Speak, Lord. Your servant's listening. Here I am, Lord. Give me my marching orders. Say something to me, God. I want you to speak to me, and I'm telling you, God will reward that. He can reverse that process. I think sometimes the way this happens as well is someone can just have a rebellious heart where maybe they don't want to listen to what God has to say. They don't want to hear what God's saying to them, and they're rejecting the truth, and that causes their heart to get harder and more calloused. And the scary thing is, is that when someone doesn't want to hear God's voice, what can tend to happen is they can struggle more and more to hear God's voice. You know, in the Old Testament, Saul became so rebellious in his heart, eventually God just gave him the silent treatment. That's the worst case scenario. I don't ever want to be in a spot where God says, apparently you don't want to listen, so I just stopped talking to you because you don't listen anyway. And that's a scary, scary place to be. And I think Jesus here is warning of the responsibility of the listener that we would evaluate our hearts in light of this thing. Verse 26 to 29, the parable here, we're going to see Jesus talks about the power and the mystery of seed, particularly we'll see according to the word of God. He says, in the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on a ground. Now, again, remember, this was an agrarian society. They fully understood what Jesus was saying here. This was a common picture. So he pictures the sower goes out and he starts to scatter seed on the ground but then he should sleep by night and rise by day. The idea is he just goes about his everyday affairs. Once the seed is sown, there's not a whole lot more he can control or do. But then the seed starts to, verse 27, sprout and grow, but he himself does not know how. In other words, the farmer looks at it. Well, that's just a mystery. That's so amazing. I just throw this seed in the dirt, <laughs> and mysteriously, there's power in that seed, and then all of a sudden, 
He goes to sleep. He just goes about his affairs, and he has really much you know, awareness that, that I have little control over this process. He doesn't even fully understand how the seed does what it does miraculously, but he doesn't know it, but yet it starts to yield crops. Verse 28, Jesus says, first the blade, then the head, after the full grain of the head, and then eventually the grain ripens, a full harvest, and immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So he describes here how the farmer recognizes, you might kind of say, the the, the mystery and the miracle of the power of a seed. And he doesn't even fully understand how it works, but he realizes there is something miraculous about the power of how seed works. And the power of seed is incredible. And he realizes, I don't do much to control it. I really don't even much to contribute to it. I just scatter the seed. But yet life comes and change comes and growth comes and, and a harvest comes to pass. And Jesus says that this is much like, verse 26, the kingdom of God. It's a picture, he says. It's an analogy of the kingdom of God. We know from our prior parable in Mark 4 that the seed is a representation of what? The word of God. And so Jesus here is describing how the seed of God's word being sown in various ways, sharing the gospel, talking to someone in a conversation and sharing God's word with them, maybe to offer some counsel to them, teaching the word of God in different capacities. We're just sowing seed of the word of God into the soil of human hearts. And yet the amazing thing is the powerful, mysterious way the seed of God's word brings incredible life change in human souls. I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. In salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1 says, we've been born again by the incorruptible seed of God's word that's alive and endures forever, right? And what an amazing thing to think, just presenting the simple gospel message, the power of that incorruptible seed, you can sow that into someone's heart and it may not immediately even sprout, but there are people who hear the gospel message of Christ's salvation, and that seed may sit in their heart for years and years and years, and then something waters it or somebody waters it, and all of a sudden, that person ends up getting converted, and, and this incredible miracle happens of the conversion of their soul because of the power of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God that was sown into their human soul. I think of how God's Word produces such powerful changes in people's lives, the growth, the fruitfulness, like the plant Jesus describes here, progressing and developing, yielding crops by itself. And then kind of again, how it gradually changes, you know, the blade, then the head, then the grain, then the full harvest, and how God's word has this powerful ability to bring changes in human beings' lives. The seed of God's word, the power of the seed. And again, Jesus emphasizes here, the farmer himself, verse 27, he says, he doesn't even know how it happens, doesn't even fully understand. And I don't know about you, but I feel the same way in regards to the word of God. The power of God's word, as it's sown like seed into human beings' lives, to do things to bring life and transformation and change and growth is completely astounding to me. And the farmer says he doesn't even know how it comes to pass. And if we were all to be honest, it wasn't, and I said this in our, I believe our last study in Mark's gospel, it's not like the, the technique the farmer used to sow the seed changed the harvest. 
It wasn't if because he was, could throw seeds behind his back or toss them under his legs or, you know, shake it out there. It had nothing to do with how he sowed the seed. It was the power of the seed. He could have just walked around and went like this and had a neighbor that did all the fancy stuff. It's not the way the seed's sown. It's the power of the seed itself to miraculously produce. And look, the same thing is true in regards to the spiritual seed of God's word. Stop overthinking how you presented the gospel or how well you present the gospel. It's not your presentation. It's the power of the seed of God's word. That's where the power is. Get out of your mindset, oh, I could never teach the Bible because I can't teach like this person, or I can't. It's, look at me, the power of the seed of God's word. It's the seed. It's not the presentation. It's the seed. Sometimes the presentation is great, and all it was was an entertaining presentation. It's the seed that produces change. It's the power of God's word that is the seed itself that brings the change in people's lives. It comes alive in people because God's word is supernatural. It blows my mind, but yet blesses me at the same time to see the amazing things that God's word can do in people's lives. It's phenomenal, the power of God's word. And it's because 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, it's God's word that's profitable. It's not the presentation being so polished or how it's the power of the seed. And it's a marvel that we'll never fully understand. I don't know about you. I think of my own life and how much change God has brought in my life. And all I've known to do is just keep sticking my face in the Bible Morning after morning, morning after morning, morning after morning, I feel like a silo of seed of God's word. But here's the thing, it's changed my life. I don't know how it did it, other than it was by the power of the Spirit of God, working through the word of God, bringing the changes that only God's power can bring. And he's done it in your lives. You know that reality. It's a wonderful thing to be with God's people and navigate life and ministry with them and look at people's lives. And you realize, you know, as you do ministry for a number of years, you start to realize, man, I remember what they were like a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and look at their life now just because of the constant effect of the power of the seed of the word of God. Folks, that is why we put such an emphasis upon the word of God in our ministry, because that's what changes lives. The spirit of God working through the word of God, conforming people into the image of the son of God, it's the power of the seed. It's mysterious, it's marvelous, but it never fails. It works incredibly, and here Jesus says this is a kingdom insight that is so incredible but yet so valuable. Verse 30, he says, but then to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? He's going to give one more. Or with what parable shall we picture it? How can we picture the kingdom? The last parable he gives is verse 31 and 32. It's like a mustard seed in which when it is sown on the ground... It is smaller than all the other seeds of the earth, and a mustard seed is incredibly tiny if you research what it looks like, but when it is sown, it then grows up 
and becomes greater than all the herbs, shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So Jesus describes here immense growth that comes from a small mustard seed, which creates an environment that accommodates birds to then be able to come nest in the branches of all the extensions that come out of this very small beginning that once it grows and reaches a stage of development, it then provides, if you would, opportunity for all these birds to come nest in it. Now, some see this as a beautiful picture of a good thing. Wow, wonderful. Large growth, great expansion. It now offers things that couldn't be supported before, things that couldn't be handled, all these extensions and branches. Now, this is really great. Now, all types of extra birds can come. They got a home base. They can fly around. They can do their things. But if we follow the idea of what's called expositional constancy, and expositional constancy means as you exposit or expound what the Word of God says, that as you exposit Scripture, you use other Scripture to help interpret Scripture, which means that when one thing means something in one place, it typically keeps meaning the same thing in its idea in other places as well. Now, if I can help you in connection to that, remember Jesus' first parable of sowing seeds into the different types of soil, and he said that parable was foundational to understanding all the other parables. Do you remember in that parable that the birds of the air were not good things? Remember, they were bad things. Jesus said the seed falls by the hard path, the wayside, and it lays on top, and the birds of air would come in, and they would swoop it up and steal away the seed. And Jesus said, that's a picture of a person with a hard heart. And then he said, the birds of the air were a picture of Satan, who comes in as the birds of the air and steals away the seed from being able to do what it was intended to do to bring help and benefit to the soil. And Jesus there shows that this, the birds represent the work of Satan operating in ways to hinder God's word and hinder God's work. The birds of the air picture the interference of Satan against the pure work of God. I believe Jesus here, my personal conviction, is warning about the kingdom of God, listen, as growth and expansion would come as the kingdom of God from this early inception here would progress and progress through human history. And as the kingdom of God would expand and it would branch out, it would present, listen, more opportunities for Satan to be able to come and to nest in the branches of a larger setting and to be able to have an easier way to have access and an entry point to be able to further interfere and bring interference and hindrance to cause problems. And think of how this is just evident, folks, over history as the church universal, generically, as the church grew from the early church and expanded, and now where we sit as the church has so many different branches and the kingdom of God has expanded so greatly, is it not a reality that as the church has become so large overall, it has indeed brought greater challenges among the church universally to maintain the purity of the gospel work. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around at all the different avenues Satan now has to infiltrate and corrupt the church because of its immense growth and expansion. I mean, think among the realms of the church in many ways that we see how Satan has come and nested in the branches of the church. 
and is bringing about unbiblical ideas and unbiblical practices and things like moral compromise being accepted among the church and the many ways that people behave, claiming to be Christians, but yet completely contradictory to the word of God. That's why we need to know God's word to be able to sort out among the church with all the birds in the nests and the branches to be able to sort out what is indeed biblical Christianity among the church. There are lots of things out there that call themselves the church. But what is biblical Christianity? And as we know the truth of God's word, we won't settle into something, listen, that may call itself the church, but yet the devil has infiltrated its branches and is doing all types of things defiling what are wrong and unbiblical practices in the covering of the church. And on a personal level as well, any local church, as it grows or expands, listen, that's a good, healthy thing. But one of the challenges with growth and expansion, even in any local church, is as there become more branches and extensions of that church life, there are more avenues for the devil to come in and to bring his defilement among many different branches. And so when that transpires, any local church must realize healthy growth is a good thing. That's God's heart. But it can happen properly, but we must also be vigilant to realize that when it happens, we need to realize there are more avenues for the devil now to come in and to infiltrate now that there's been expansion and extensions in all types of different branches. Paul himself warned about that in Acts chapter 20, where he said this, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He was saying this to elders. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now listen to Paul's warning. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away, listen, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember for three years that I did not cease to warn day and night with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Again, Paul tells the elders in the church of Ephesus as things would progress and grow, he said, look, you have to have a serious commitment to honoring Jesus. You have to always think about what's in the best welfare of the flock. And he says, your leaders better have some stinking backbone. I added stinking in. <laughs> and he said, the word of God is your greatest safeguard because that's what will help you discern things. Let's stand, let's pray.